Hey, this is Doug Jones from Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer, Hellboy 1 and 2, Hocus Pocus, Pan's Labyrinth, and currently on Falling Skies. But today, you are listening to Genretainment. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Genretainment over at SciFiPulseRadio.com. We're your hosts, Marks and Julie, and Genretainment is where we talk about what's happening in the world of film, TV, and web series. We give you interviews with writers, directors, producers, and actors in both independent and not-so-independent creations. Now, for this 93rd episode, yes, 93rd, we are Mm. speaking with professional actor Michael Laskin. We are talking about his 35 years working in film, television, theater, and voiceovers. He is also an acting teacher and the author of the new book, The Authentic Actor, The Art and Business of Being Yourself. He shares decades of acting wisdom and gives some great advice and tips for anyone wanting to be an actor. Now, before we start the interview, we do want to point out that the music you just heard at the beginning of the show was a snippet from the theme song for our web series, Reality on Demand. It was a song composed and performed by our friend Tishon Hardy. You can find our web series at realityondemandseries.com. Now let's get started with our interview with actor Michael Laskin. Hi, Michael. Welcome to Genretainment. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Now, you've been a professional actor for decades. Uh, yes. You also teach acting classes. Now you have a book out on acting, which is the primary reason why you're here. Right. Uh, called The Authentic Actor, The Art and Business of Being Yourself. I thought before we get too heavily into the book, I thought we'd just start off with your path of acting. You know, what took you on your path and got you to teaching acting? Sure. Well, my path started a long time ago when we lived in log cabins and we crossed the country in covered wagons. <laughs> so really, Hollywood was at the end of the Oregon Trail for you, is what you're saying. Exactly. exactly. Oh, okay, yeah. Now, I, I started out, I'm from the Midwest, I'm from Minnesota originally, and uh, I spent the first 32 years of my life between Minnesota and a little bit in Chicago as well. So I studied theater at Northwestern University and uh, did a master's degree at the University of Minnesota because I had a, I was granted a fellowship at the Guthrie Theater at that time and uh, thought I just wanted to do theater. I mean, I was devoted to that. It's really what I wanted to do. It's what, what was a, a real turn on for me and did that professionally for about 11 years. I mean, made my living pretty much just working on the stage. And I got an opportunity to do a play that we had, it's a long, I would, the whole interview could be about this particular play. So I <laughs> it took me to, this play took me to London, the Edinburgh Festival, New York, and Los Angeles. It was a, it was one of those thrill rides for a couple of years. Wow. And when I, when I got to LA, my, my mother actually was raised in Los Angeles. I had family here. And my wife at that time, who was still my wife, uh, amazingly, mm-hmm. um, she was from Minnesota as well and thought that it would be a good idea to move to California. And I kind of didn't. And then I came out here and did the play and I went, no, this is, I kind of like this. This is okay. So I think that the trajectory from the standpoint of career is uh, I really transitioned from working exclusively in theater to working almost exclusively on screen for a while. I did do theater occasionally. And uh, that's a very, that's a, that was a very difficult thing for me personally. I think it is for a lot of actors. I don't think the theater really trains you. Theater trains you to be in the theater. It's a different, it's an entirely different thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very there different. Some, there's, there's some things that cross over. There are some, I think theater actors are generally more collaborative 
They tend to hang up their costumes at the end of the day. Um, they tend to be very good with text, uh, mm-hmm. more so than theaters and actors who don't have that training. But it was uh, it was a rude uh, awakening to all of a sudden see myself on TV and realize I wasn't very good. <laughs> and I and I when I wasn't initially, I wasn't. I thought, oh, this is this is dreadful. I'm going to have to really reexamine everything. And it took me a while. And I'm still, you know, I'm still learning. Frankly, it's I think film and television acting kind of goes against the natural wiring in some ways. So you have to find a way to to find your way into that and then to dance with that a little bit because it's it's completely different. The teaching thing really was, I never, honestly, I never wanted to teach. I had a healthy disdain for it. <laughs> I don't, I think there's a lot of really bad acting teachers, really bad training. Mm-hmm. Uh, 75, 80% of it is bad. It's either cultish or it's, or there's kind of a guru or there's, you know, there's somebody who, or there's one size these one methodology things like we teach the Meisner method or we teach the Stellar Adler method. That's all great, but one method doesn't fit everybody. And so I, I just, I, the opportunity kind of fell in my lap and I thought, well, maybe it doesn't have to suck. You know, maybe it could be good. Maybe I could actually reexamine it and try to do it the way I would want a class to be if I was taking a class as a younger actor. And that's precisely what I did. And it's been kind of a resounding success. And out of that came the book, and out of that came there's a TED talk that I did last year, and and that's the whole. I think the whole message of the authentic actor reflects my journey from from doing to being. That's a big concept, but in theater you do, and in film acting you you are mm. you you are you are who you are when you walk in the door when you meet somebody in a room for the first time you've never met them they come to the door you shake their hands. You have a blink of an eye feeling about that person. And I think at a real chemical hardware level, that's what film and TV acting is about. Mm. It's about who you are rather than what you can do. So it requires the actor to know who they are. And the irony is most of the opportunities are for people who, by definition, can't know who they are because they're 19. <laughs> yeah. You understand? You know, oh, yeah. some, people are, some people are self-possessed and they kind of, Either they know who they are or they can project that, and then they become stars, because that's really what a star is, somebody who can project this sort of dead certainty about their own identity that you can build a story around. But the rest of us mortals have to, you know, figure it out. And that's what my teaching sort of embodies. It's all about the, the fusion and the marriage of traditional skills, which there's no shortcut for. You have to know your technique and you have to know your craft with who you are, who, what your identity is. The other ways of teaching don't seem to take that into account. And I looked around thinking, is anybody teaching this way? And they really weren't. And so I saw it, I won't say, I won't be opportunistic as I saw it as an opening. I just saw it as an opportunity to, I didn't want to do this. I didn't want to put my name on it unless I felt I had something original to contribute and something new to contribute. Mm-hmm. And I, I have to say, I think I do. And I think I have. And I think that's what has resonated in my work and in in the book after your first gig on film where you said that it just didn't work for you was that 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 being who you are was that the major change you realized you had to make after you saw your performance or or what Um, was it that what were the biggest things after that that you knew you had to reevaluate and 
approach in a different manner? It's a good question, and it's it's kind of at the crux of the whole thing. The when you let me put it to you this way: when you come from working in the theater, you do eight shows a week. Some weeks I was work, some years I was working 40, 45 weeks a year, eight shows a week. It becomes a little like assembly line work after a while. Mm. Doesn't mean you're not good, but you become very polished and you become very almost mechanical. And then you get on screen and that shows. You look like you're acting. You look like you're projecting or your stage acting is kind of an outward gesture in a general sense. And film acting is like realistic behavior under imaginary circumstances, but it should feel realistic. What I saw of myself looked like I was acting. And I can tell you the exact moment when the exact aha moment when I went, oh, that's how you do it. <laughs> I was on a show. I was very lucky. I did. I must have auditioned well because I started. I was booking a lot of work, but I wasn't happy with the work at all. And I was on a show uh, with an actor who's long gone now called Jack Warden, who's Jack was one of the great character actors of the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. If you saw, if you looked him up, you'd go, oh, right, that guy, he was in a million movies. He was yeah. nominated for an Oscar. He was an Oscar nominee. And I did a TV series uh, as a recurring character with Jack. And I was just so, he was so good. He was really good on screen. And I was, one day I was sitting on the side of the set with him. And I always wanted to be around him because I just learned so much just going to school on him. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about sports or something, and the, he wasn't in this particular shot. And the director said, oh, Jack, you know what? You are in this shot. I need you to be at the desk or wherever it was. And I watched Jack, the guy I was talking to about the Dodgers or whatever it was, walk onto the set. Action. It was the exact same person I was talking to. There was no... <laughs> elevation there was no it was easy it was like oh you can just do that oh it's hard to really put into words but i saw that his life and his art had aligned perfectly and so there wasn't it was effortless mm -hmm. now he didn't he didn't come at that as a young actor i've seen a lot of his stuff when he was younger and he wasn't that quite that way but as he got older it was just this effortless merging of life which is an examined life and and his craft, and it was just he, he was amazing. It was it was like watching Fred Astaire dance. It was like effortless, and I know that it wasn't effortless because he he would always know what the scene was about, and he would always know what the strategy was within the scene. But he made it seem like he he made the film set seem like he was in his living room. Mm. And I went okay. All right, that's the desired effect. The desired effect is it should really feel like, oh, I just thought of something and I'm telling you right now in the moment. And there's a little bit more planning in the theater and there's a little bit more, um, there's a little bit more of an outward energy. And, and you, you don't really need that on film for the most part. And so it was, you know, I was very lucky to work with some very, very good people. But I didn't learn from classes. I really just learned on the job, to be honest. Okay, now what are the most common mistakes that you observe in aspiring actors today? And are they the same things that you observed from decades ago? Well, uh, mistakes is mistakes implies that they're doing something wrong. <laughs> but I would say I would I would rephrase it a little differently if I may, as common omissions. Okay. Is that people people aren't fully in. They're not they have one foot out the door. Young actors, it's a really, really difficult career choice, life choice. Mm -hmm. And if you can do anything else, you probably should 
look into that because it's it's tough. But if you can't, and if you're passionate, and if you're an artist, you you have to be fully in. And sometimes they're not. I can tell in my class in a minute if somebody's not fully committed. And I'm and I'm easy. I'm not like a, I don't make people cry and I don't beat people up. I'm not <laughs> You know, there's 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 plenty of teachers who do that, but I see if they have a foot out the door, uh, if they have a, if they have a plan B, a really strong plan B, that's going to become the plan. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's you, there's a certain amount of fearlessness, and it's a faith-based occupation. You have to believe you're going to be okay. You have to believe you're going to gain some traction, and you give it some time and some effort. And it's heartbreaking because some people are very, very talented. It's not about talent, really. It's about something else because at the professional level, everybody's talented. I mean, to one extent or another, they wouldn't have gotten to that point. I was at an audition the other day for for a role on something, and I saw the same six or eight guys I always see. You know, we all know each other because we're all up to the same parts. (laughs) And everybody, everybody in that room could do a fantastic job in that role. Nobody, it's not like, the, oh, the most talented person is going to get the job. They're all talented. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's about something else. It's about that sense of self. And there's lots of reasons you don't get jobs that have nothing to do with talent. Most of them just have to do with luck or something about who you are lines up with the time you're in. You know, the zeitgeist, you're, you're, you're a match for something. Mm-hmm. And so the, you know, I say mistakes. When you, when you ask the question about mistakes, I mean, really, my answer is people who don't know their business, who don't know their craft. I've been working with a couple of actors recently in my class and also privately because I work, I coach privately, who are trained, one in Australia and two of them in England. And the training is better. I'm sorry to dash water, I'm, I'm, but the training is significantly better the sense of craft is significantly better and makes them it just makes them better at what they do and as a matter of fact i'm going to try to one of them i talked to i said i i want to go over there and be a fly on the wall at the school she went to in london (laughs) i said i I want to i want to see what they do i really i'm so impressed by everybody I've, i've met i want to see what it is that they do that we don't do i think it's primarily technique and craft oriented well i it's I've noticed that just not being an actor, but just someone who watches TV and movies in both American and and British, and in seeing their performances and seeing or reading interviews, it feels like to me that over in in England or just Great Britain in general, I suppose, um, the acting is considered a viable craft to go into, and you go and you study and uh, you know, it's a career and a job that you do. And here we kind of see it as, oh, something that happens to you if you just head out to L.A. with a heart full of dreams and right. and, and and more of an emphasis on how you look and who you know. And it seems yes. to me that it's it's more of the American approach sort of encourages a, a, a less responsible way of approach than the mindset of of how they just society in general in Great Britain views the career of acting. I don't know if I'm correct well, in that, but no, I, I think there's some there's a significant amount of truth to that. I, 
you know, in, in England, it's very hard to get rich and famous as an actor. I don't mm-hmm. care how successful you are. So most of them who become rich and famous end up coming to L.A. and doing movies. And But uh, it's it's a little like when I, I was part of the professional theater community in Minneapolis-St. Paul for a number of years. And there were so many great actors there. Mm-hmm. And they just didn't have whatever it was. They didn't have the ambition or the ego or the drive to say, I'm going to go try L.A. or try New York. They worked. We, When I was there, you know, you would work all the time on, on interesting stuff. I mean, there was so many. Chicago was very similar. And, and there's a lot of great actors who we never see because they, they don't have, they're not foolish enough to risk it all. <laughs> well, L.A. in particular is, is about risk takers. And the cliches are all true. All those things you said are true. <laughs> What's also true is that I think everything you've heard about L.A. and the movie business is true, all of it. Mm-hmm. But there's there's about 10,000 things about L.A. and the movie business you haven't heard that are also true, that are amazing, provocative, mm-hmm. artistic, brilliant. And so you have to find a way, you have to know who you are when you come out here. You come out here when you're 17, you know, unless you have a really great family structure, it's it's tough. You kind of... I was a fully functioning adult when I came here. I knew who I was mm-hmm. and I knew what I was about. But it's, yeah, I, I think the, the sense of, of craft, it's the one thing I think our actors in America really don't, in general, I'm generalizing here, but they don't have in the same way that they do in those. By the way, there's a, there's a lot of really bad acting over there, too. I mean, <laughs> not all, well, there's good and bad everywhere, yeah. Yeah, they're not all great. I mean, I always say this to my class, and, and I, I firmly believe this to be true. I say I have the 5% rule, and I said everything, movies, television, theater, in New York, L.A., Los Angeles, London, Chicago, wherever, 5% of it is great. 95% of it is mediocre or bad. <laughs> and your job is to want to be in the 5%, involved in the 5%, know, have, know enough to know what's good and what isn't good and why. And, you know, developing those critical skills. A lot of these younger actors, I mean, I have a, I feel very fortunate. I have a lot of young actors in my stable who I really admire, who I think are very dedicated and very talented, but they don't know very much about anything before they were born. They know some plays, of course, if they've had a theater education, but like movies, you'll say they don't, there's, there's a, huge gap in what I would call visual literacy. They don't know classic movies, and there's so much great stuff in classic movies, uh, great performances, great actors, that I'm actually, we're doing a once-a-month screening program because one, one of my class members who's more of a contemporary of mine, she's, she's a little older, uh-huh. has a private screening room in her house, and you know, last month we said, well, who hasn't seen Chinatown? Nobody had seen Chinatown. I said, okay, we're going to go see Chinatown. Mm-hmm. And who hasn't seen, you know, they haven't seen The Godfather or they haven't seen Grapes of Wrath or a lot of wonderful movies. So there is that. I think it's there's a rich artistic history in the movies that people are, I think, kind of unaware of. Oh, yeah, I definitely put one of my favorites is uh, All the President's Men. <laughs> ah, great movie. I'm, I'm always a little heartbroken when people say they've not seen that. I'm like, oh, you have to. It's so good. <laughs> it is. And, you know, and all those guys in that movie, Jack Warden was in that movie, guy I mentioned. Uh, Jack Warden, Jason Robards, Martin Balsam, mm-hmm. all those guys, 
none of those guys would be working today, by the way. There's mm. no roles for those kinds of guys anymore. Right. It really isn't. I mean, that's the, that's the sad part. We've become so youth-oriented that those wonderful, really, you know, textual, older character guys, there's not a lot of work. There's not a lot of work for those kinds of actors anymore, sadly. That is a great movie. Yeah, it is. Now, we've been talking a lot about, you know, younger aspiring actors because, you know, we're talking a lot about how you're teaching and mentoring. Looking back, what is the number one thing that you wish the younger aspiring actor you knew that you know today? Oh, man. Boy, I'm not that, giving them uh, easy ones. <laughs> no, no, that's good. I, I love it. I, I would say this, and I'll, I'll, I'll say it, and then I'll, I may have to explain it a little bit. I would like to have realized that I was enough. <laughs> by, by that, I mean, I mean, I, Jeffrey Tambor is a good friend of mine who wrote the foreword to my book and who, in some ways, has been a, a real mentor to me. When I started teaching, I was really, I, I expressed my doubts to him, and he said, just remember, you're enough. And it was a really good advice. You know, yeah, we don't we, we don't trust that about ourselves because we're all fear based. It's a fear based listen, it's a fear based world if we want to get global about it, but mm-hmm. but it's a fear based occupation for sure. And no one trusts that what they're doing is enough and that who they are is enough. And if I had known that, you know, they all listen, we all have things we wish we knew then that, that we know now. And I that's really was one of the foundations of my thinking about trying to create a, a class that I would like. It's like a class I wish I had then, knowing what I know now. I mean, when you get older, I'm in my early sixties, you get to um you just know stuff. You it's just if you if you have a brain in your head and if you've had kind of an exam of life, you know a lot. You gain wisdom, and there's no way to know for the younger artist to know what you know as an older artist. And so that mentoring approach, I just it's so important to me because I take great pleasure when one of my students or clients, I just had a student book a lead in the series, and I couldn't have been happier. If it, if it would have been me, I couldn't have been happier. This guy really, <laughs> he's worked his butt off, and he's good, and he He's earned it, and uh, he got lucky, you know. So mm-hmm. uh, it's just it's thrilling for him. He could change his life, maybe. Well, that's great. Congratulations to the both of you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. What motivated you to to do this book after doing Active well, Salon and doing this class? I think my answer is going to disappoint you because it's it's um, <laughs> it's a kind of random answer. A lot of things. I'll backtrack for a second. So there's certain things in your life. There are certain signposts in your life. Sometimes we ignore the signposts in our life and we look back and think, gosh, I should have I should have seen that. Mm-hmm. Well, with the teaching thing, I started creating one of the things I did initially was to just create some content. I started a blog and I started just writing things that I thought were interesting to think about in the acting world. And I decided I wanted to really try to re examine the whole thing and in effect, pretend I was a space alien who had never been in Earth and hadn't seen an acting class and didn't know what this strange activity was and really try to look at it with fresh eyes. And so I just started writing, and I wrote a lot of blog entries that I've just posted on my website or mail out. And I had this woman who came to my class who was a screenwriter. I often have writers or directors in class as well, which I really think is, is great. And I never charged her for class because I was – she didn't really take up too much of my time because she was a writer. She was more observing than anything. Mm-hmm. 
And she, she said she'd been in the class about a year. She just loved it and really learned a lot about what actors do, and which, if you're a writer, I think that's kind of imperative. And she said, you know, have you ever thought about doing a book? And I said, no, which I think disappointed her. <laughs> uh, and she said, I think you've already got it written. I mean, I've read all your I had 60 blog posts or whatever. She said, you got the basic ideas down but I can help you with it as a way to pay you back because I do this. She edits books and she's a very fine writer for hire. And I said, well, good, because I'll never do it on my own. I'm lazy. And I, <laughs> I, I don't, you know, I, I said, I probably won't do it. So she helped me immensely. So the, the short answer is I had a lot of help, not in the writing of it, but in just the conceptualizing of it, the structure of it. The structure of it is deliberately so that you can pick it up anywhere and get something from it. Mm-hmm. It's not, it is linear. There's a larger structure to the book, which is essentially about what do you know and who you are and, and professional stuff as well. But I don't think young people in particular, most of my clientele are young, although I have, I have in my class, I have from ages 20 to 73, believe it or not. Oh, but most wonderful. of them are young. Yeah, it is. It's great. It's like the one room schoolhouse. I really like <laughs> it. But most young people don't read in the same and I don't know that an acting book should be linear. It shouldn't be point A to point B to point C. I think the way I've structured it is how I think about it. And I think you can pick it up anywhere and get something, hopefully get something useful out of it. And that's my fondest goal is that this be useful to people. Now, this next question, I suspect I know what your answer is going to be based on <laughs> reading your book and, and also you saying earlier about your healthy disdain for uh, for acting classes originally. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm going to tweak this question a little bit. Okay, so, uh, I will let you read it. <laughs> but we have a listener, a longtime listener, Teresa D. Lee. Hi, Teresa. Um, and when she heard you're going to be on here, she sent us a question. She's a writer who's who's starting to get into acting and trying to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, uh, she asked, this is her original question, and then I'll tweak it. Uh, she asked, do you recommend or value any particular school of acting theory? So I would tweak that and just say, what elements of certain methods of acting do you find useful? Ah, oh, good, good modification, okay. babe. Good job. <laughs> you get an A for modification. That's great. <laughs> um, I think I think about it this way. I think basically everyone who is a four-year-old child knows how to act. Four-year-old children put on a ballerina costume or a Power Ranger hat and they run around the house and they pretend to be somebody else and they. No one has to teach them that that impulse to play and to be imaginative is there. It's usually drummed out of you by a certain age because you decide, well, I'm I'm too old for that, or you know, get stand in a straight line and behave yourself. And those those the impulse to play gets kind of sublimated in a, in a lot of people. But with some people, the impulse to play is very strong, and, and those are the people who become more creative. Some of them become actors. So when you enter into that and you enter into training, I think almost unless you're incredibly uh, unless you're incredibly suggestible and, and malleable, I think almost any methodology is fun. You're going to learn something, even if you learn I don't want to do that. That doesn't work for me. You've learned something. Mm. I think the impulse to do it is hardwired, but it's everybody's a little different. That's why I don't think the one-size-fits-all generally works. And if it does work, my my job as a teacher really is to help you find the process that works organically for you. If that happens to be the Lee Strasberg method, then great. Or the Stella Adler method, great. 
all roads lead to Rome, as far as I'm concerned. As long as you get to Rome, you get to the truth, you get to the heart of the matter. All these methodologies are like diets, okay? Mm-hmm. Diets all work for a while, mm-hmm. and then they don't work. And, and a diet has to be something you can live with every day that you can, you can incorporate into your life. And so it is, uh, I know a lot of people who have struggled with figuring out, you know, they keep going from teacher to teacher and wondering, what's the answer? What's the, what's this methodology isn't really working. And the reality is the answer is looking back at you in the mirror. You're the answer. Mm-hmm. It's within you. You just have to find somebody who can help bring that out in you and who can give you, the talent is there. I can't teach talent. Nobody can teach talent. Talent is, is, is inborn, I think, but what you can teach, what I can teach, is strategy within the the scene that you're playing, within the play or the movie, within your career, within your life. It's figuring out what you want and figuring out, you know, a lot of actors spend a lot of time figuring out what they want. What do they want? What do they want? And the reality is you have to figure out what you want. And if if, if that's strong enough, they may want what you want. They may want you, but uh, trying to please the mythical they never works, and trying to not suck never works. So you have to you you have to find whatever methodology you use. You have to find a way to make it your own, because that's the only thing you have that differentiates you from anybody else. Everybody, at least, and I'm dealing only at the professional level. I'm not dealing uh, at the amateur level, but uh, at the professional level, it's not about who's talented. It's about who who somehow brings their indelible self to the forefront. And, and you know, you, you look at Seth Rogen, for instance, who I think is a very funny actor, but he isn't really an actor, but, or is he? Hmm. <laughs> you see, I mean, Seth Rogen has this intense identity. He's not going to play Hamlet somewhere, <laughs> but he's the best Seth Rogen that there is. <laughs> and, he, and he walks into a scene and you know immediately how he's going to react, what his worldview is, how it will affect him. And that's a triumph of identity, of a strong, indelible identity over traditional skills. He's become a better actor, by the way. He's quite good in a couple of movies that I've seen him in. But it's a tri- It's all about identity with him, the whole thing. And, and that's uniquely cinematic. I think that that's not really transferable in the theater. Although Larry David now has a play on Broadway, and uh, that's sort of an interest. I'd like to see that. Hmm. Because he, he is also, although he's a very skilled writer, uh, unbelievably skilled. But his acting is, is him. It's just him. He, he, he plays himself completely. Huh. It's interesting to see what he's doing on Broadway. Yeah. So if someone is just out of the gate trying to figure out a way to get started, it's just, I guess, basically trial and error. Just start somewhere. If it works, keep going. If it doesn't, find something else, I guess. I think so. Yeah, I mean, I, I wish I had a magic bullet to say that that's not the case, but I think that it is trial and error, and, you know, if you're lucky, you and, and a lot of this is luck, a lot of it's just, you know, right place, right time. If you're lucky, you fall under the influence of somebody who really can help you, who really understands what it is you're after, and if you're unlucky, you you get in the wrong kind of class, you get the wrong kind of training. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot of actors I've worked with are very good and have no training, by the way. Yeah. You know, I, I've worked with people who are very good. I've worked with a number of people who are dancers, for instance, uh, for no apparent reason, but I have had four or five uh, class people and clients. And they're incredible because 
they understand the discipline involved, and they understand a lot. I mean, other disciplines, I, one of the best actors I ever worked with was a football player from mm-hmm. Ohio State, and he just understood. He had a strong sense of self. He was a very quick learner. He very quickly became a, quite a good actor with no training, and one night in class he said to me, well, I don't really know what I'm doing in, in the critique session after one of his scenes. I said, of course you do. I said, you can see the response you're getting here. And, well, what am I doing? I said, you're doing, you're pretending that what's happening is happening to you. Mm-hmm. You're not, you, you, you know, you've disabused yourself of the notion that you have to be somebody else. You're just using yourself as the vessel through which this scene and the story flows. And that's perfectly fine. That's a different kind of acting. It's, it is kind of cinematic in a way. I mean, all those great actors from the beginning of movies, movie stars, Jimmy Stewart, Cary Grant, on and on and on, they played, John Wayne, they played a version of themselves. Mm-hmm. And it, it doesn't make them less of an actor. It doesn't. It's just it's a different kind of acting. It's uniquely uh, film-oriented. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, but within the different schools of acting or schools of thought of acting, is there anything that sticks out in your mind about any of them that either works really well for in your mind for a lot of people and are any of them in your opinion kind of way off base on something that they try to impart with <laughs> actors well or or is it just so subjective it's really hard to I think it's kind of subjective but I will say this the you know the the most important thing an actor can first assuming you have some control of your voice and your body and have some sense of personal um dynamics uh we I'm, I'm assuming that but the 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 school to give it a, i'll give very briefly i'll try to say you know there's a there's a, there are these magic schools of acting that have been around forever mm-hmm. lee strasberg stella adler sanford meisner they all came out of the group theater in the 1930s um they were all really important seminal ideas in the 1930s, they're still being taught today in the 2000 teens in essentially similar ways. And the world has changed, acting has changed, audiences have changed, delivery systems for product have changed immensely. And what all those things were, they were sort of a reaction, and I can lump them all together because they were a reaction to a, the artificiality of acting at the time, you know, that kind of fake. 1930s acting mm-hmm. and 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 all those all those things that grew, grew out of the group theater were like a search for emotional reality well we have that now there's no fake acting to rail against right yet they still teach that it's weird i mean most actors today even if they're not good have some sense of how to behave realistically and naturalistically you know, there's been there's been 60 years of television where there's realistic behavior, so they kind of know what it looks like, and it kind of comes preloaded like software on a computer with young people. They they get they get that immediately. That doesn't mean they're good, by the way. It just means they understand what that what it feels like to appear to be real. Uh-huh. Right. But what they are missing is imagination and strategy, and so there really isn't any artificiality to rail against. Yeah, they and were reactionary, those, but yeah, what they were reacting yeah. against isn't really an issue anymore. 
Exactly. So the the and the training. I mean, one of the things I've I've said a lot. And this is true in the theater, and it's true in on the screen. What you do as an actor has to be repeatable. If you're doing a play on Broadway or off Broadway or at the regional theater somewhere, you're doing it eight times a week. If you're doing a scene that you're filming, you might do 20 takes from four different angles. And it has to feel fresh mm. every time like you just thought of it. And if you can't, that's technique. And if you can't do that, you don't know your craft. So it's it's hard to really teach someone that. I think it's something that just starts to take hold once you've worked enough. Mm. I did a summer of stock when I was 19, and I was really, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> they, brought in these, they brought in these actors from New York who were very good. And I remember at the first table read of the first play we were doing that summer, they started talking, and I, re- I thought they were just talking, and they were actually reading lines. And I thought, they're so good, I didn't know they weren't reading lines. Oh, wow. And, you know, that's how that's how undeveloped I was. Mm-hmm. And I went, oh, that's amazing. They sound mm-hmm. just like they're talking, but they're actually reading the script. Wow. And, so, I mean, it is that sense. And you, it's very hard to teach that, but the desired effect is that you just had an idea, you just thought of it, and you just said something that occurred to you for the first time. Mm. And now do that 20 times over at 3 in the morning and make, <laughs> it, and make it seem fresh every time, like it just happened for the first time. That's craft, and that's technique. Yeah. And it's it's kind of hard to teach that. It's Something you get by you, doing. You, you really get it by doing, and you, you get it by having a crucible experience, by being in a in a movie for seven weeks where you're working every day or being in a play that's just really incredibly inspiring and involving for six months out of six months run or something. Actors need those crucible experiences to take a big step, to take yeah. a big step, you know? Yeah. yeah I am. Um, I, I've looked into read up on different schools of acting and I liked, I, I was intrigued by this Stella Adler and just, I mm-hmm. remember her always, I remember the quote that seemed to come up a lot. It resonated with me, which is, I guess, she always said, don't be boring. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't be boring. No one wants to watch yeah. a boring person, you know, and I don't know why that stuck in my head, but. It <laughs> no, it's, it's good, though. She was a remarkable figure, and. Of all of them, I would say her, she doesn't really have a methodology in the same way Meisner or Strasbourg did. It was really a cult of personality. She was this formidable, charismatic personality. There's still this video of her teaching. Yeah, I've watched them. Yeah. Yeah, no, she was And you can't stop watching her. Just sitting at a table, talking. She was intriguing. Exactly. (laughs) She was intriguing. But not everybody can do what she did. I don't know that she, you know, I'm not really sure that I think she was all about the text and she was all about using your imagination. It was not about this baloney about, you know, like substitution. Somebody said, you know, I worked with somebody recently who had trained at Strasbourg. And in other words, if you're, I'm using an extreme example, but if you're an axe murderer and you've never killed somebody with an axe, then you create some sort of, they call it a substitution in your... It's stupid, frankly. It's <laughs> but, you know, the reality is you pretend. You pretend that's what you do. Mm-hmm. It's not... There's nothing wrong with that. You pretend with a sense of purpose and imagination and forward thrust, and that's our job. 
frankly. You, you know, you can't substitute something for that. Mm-hmm. Oh, my, my, my beloved aunt died, and I'm going to think about that now while I'm murdering somebody. It's, it's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I think the, the sense of we have an impulse. We have impulses as actors and as human beings. And what happens in some of those training programs is they stop the impulse. They give it a name. Oh, you just did a substitution, or that's a sense memory, or... And then they, they mess with what is an organic process. If you have any talent at all, you're already doing those things. You're doing them on, by instinct. Mm-hmm. You really are, and that's what's called talent. But once you decode it, it makes actors self-conscious about it. You give it a name, and then sometimes self-reverential about it. I mean, I've deprogrammed a couple of actors from some really bad <laughs> training. Well, it sounds like it's and getting it, them further in their head instead of... Yeah, exactly. Not- it's it's an organic process that, you know, you knew how to do when you were four. It's yeah, because we used really, to say, we're playing pretend. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, I don't think it's mystical. It can be, and it can be artistic, but artistry is only achieved through craft. Mm-hmm. You know, Picasso, that famous quote I used in my book, I think he said, I, I'm going to mess it up now, something like I... I studied painting for four years, and I learned how to. He basically learned how to paint realistically, and he spent. I spent the rest of my life learning how to paint like a child. <laughs> you know, but he did study. You know, he studied classical painting. He knew how to paint the human form, but but then he spent the rest of his life learning to paint like a child, learning to paint with a child's imagination and sense of wonder. And I think that's the same thing with acting. I think you know, on some hardwired level you know how to do this. And then the success factors come down to uh, your sense of a healthy ego, your sense of imagination, your sense of fearlessness, luck, how you look. You know, one of the great things about acting, and I, I recommend this a lot, if you've watched the Stella Adler things, you can watch these as well as an interesting counterpoint. Watch the Michael Caine tapes. Michael Caine has made a number of acting, cl- acting sort of master class tapes. You can find find them on YouTube. They're brilliant. And Michael Caine's stuff is 100% technical. Mm. If, yeah. if you're being shot from this angle, use your right eye to look at the other actor's left eye. And here's why. And he will demonstrate it. And you go, um, it's unbelievable. Wow. He's such a brilliant, he's a brilliant technician. And a lot of it is very technical. And, and once you get over the fact that that's, that's just something you have to learn, then you can you can let that showcase who you are. If you're doing film television, you have to be camera aware as an actor. Yeah, you have to be. And and unfortunately, you know, like a guy like Michael Caine, the thing I love about him, he always knows what movie he's in. <laughs> in other words, he can be in Miss Congeniality too, and frankly, be brilliant. <laughs> he can be in a movie like Harry Brown, which is gritty, grimy. And he could be brilliant in that. He's he's amazingly malleable because he knows his craft so well. He's a master. Yeah. He's a master. Robert Duvall is the same way. Oh, mm-hmm. I adore him. Yeah, I, I had the privilege of working with him once, and it was great. Mm. It was great. Wow. Yeah. Wow was right. <laughs> Blew me away. I had heard he was difficult, and I was a little... He, he kind of scared everybody because he's, he's, he could be kind of a scary presence. He and seems like he could difficult. be intimidating without meaning to. Yeah, exactly. But he's not difficult at all. But what he was and is, I'm sure, still, he was the most prepared actor I have ever come across. 
so that if he got to take four, he wasn't real happy. Mm. He's got his best take on take one, and he wants <laughs> the cast, cast and the crew and everybody to be ready on take one. He's like a racehorse at the gate. He's ready to go. And so as long as everybody understands that, mm-hmm. it's great. He gets to take four. He's he gets a little uh, jumpy. He doesn't like it. So, and I totally respected that because he was, you know, and it got everybody up their game being around him because he was so prepared and so professional. And I, I mean, I learned a lot watching him work and working with him. It was just tremendous. He seems like he's a very intense personality kind of person. Just not even when he's acting. Just he has an intensity or a gravitas or something about him that. Yeah. No, he does. He's, you know, he's. Certainly, I think one of the great one of the great masters for sure. Mm-hmm. I recently had a friend of the family contact me. She lives in Miami and she's kind of some modeling a little bit. She wants to get in acting, and because because I do because we interview people and I do films and stuff too. Yeah. That's why she asked asked me about it, and I didn't know exactly how to respond because I don't live in Miami and mm-hmm. and I'm not really an actor. So I mean I've worked with actors, but 100% know that world for sure. Um, right. Besides, of course, I'm going to advise her to get this book. <laughs> uh, what would you suggest? <laughs> He's like, that's my first suggestion. That was a great idea. Yeah. Great idea. How did you guess? Uh, what would you suggest for her living there? You know, what would be the first couple steps for her to take? It's hard to know without knowing her, mm-hmm. but she's a model. She's a model. Yeah, she's and a model. a singer, too, right? She's the one that we okay. saw the, yeah, the a bit music singing, video. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you she's know, bilingual. Models are interesting. I've worked with a number of models as well as, as coaching clients. They generally are quite good because they understand the visual image of themselves in a way that other people don't. Right. And they're comfortable being photographed and being looked at because that's what they do. So they have that's an advantage over some other people. You know, it depends on her case. Um, I happen to know a very good acting teacher down in uh, – She's in Tampa, St. Pete. She's quite good. She's from here. But I would say this to anybody who really wants to get in it. First of all, you assume they're getting into it for the right reasons, that they have a genuine curiosity about and, and passion for it. And the other thing is to identify those people. I call them artistic superheroes, people who you like, people whose work you like, actors or actresses, who you admire, who are, who stand for something, whose work is consistently great, whose movies you will actually go out and see because you think they're so good. Identify those people and then start to think about what do they have in common with you or what, what is it about them that inspires you. Most art begins as imitation. You imitate things. Writers steal from other writers. Musicians steal themes from other composers. You know, it is, that's, I, I think, identify those people who are inspired. I mean, I went to see, I was up in Utah last week skiing, and there was no snow, so that was interesting. But um, <laughs> I went to see Cinderella, which I wouldn't probably normally see. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm like a, I'm a Jewish guy in my 60s. What am I seeing Cinderella? <laughs> um, Kate Blanchett is in Cinderella. It's also directed by Kenneth Branagh, who's a brilliant director. Oh, yes. I love, I love to there, his, the version of Much Ado About Nothing with him. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Sorry, that was an aside note. I didn't mean to distract you. No, but he's a brilliant director. And Kate Blanchett is playing the evil stepmother. And she's freaking amazing in this movie. (laughs) And, you know, she's somebody who's never bad. 
she's always good. Right. She's always good or she's great. And she's one of those, there are those actors and actresses who use, I will go see Kate, I will see Kate Blanchett do anything because, and I don't care if it's Sleeping Beauty, uh, Cinderella, excuse me, which was, by the way, it's a fantastic movie. Mm-hmm. And this young girl who's on Downton Abbey, um, I'm going to blank on her oh, name. Oh, she, she plays, plays, the lead. She plays uh, Rose on yes. uh, Downton Abbey. Lily James, is that her name? Lily James is absolutely, you see this and you go, first of all, she's a very, you don't, you don't know quite from Downton Abbey. I think she's very charming in that show and very good. You don't know how good she is until you see her carry a movie. She's carrying the movie. Mm-hmm. And she's a very good actress. I didn't realize how good until I saw her in this. She's magic on screen. She said it's the perfect, she's the perfect person to play this role with a great director. It's it's quite good. It's very satisfying. You know, I don't I'm not an intellectual snob about these things. I like I like great movies. I also like movies that are, you know, that are I like all kinds of movies. I like mm-hmm. all kinds of plays. I just I just want them to be good. Cinderella is very good. And the performances in it are very good. And the direction is very good. It's very artfully done. So, you know, there's nothing to complain about. I don't look down my nose at stuff like that. No, I thought it looked like it would be a very interesting take on the story, too. Well, it's great. All right, here's a, a lightning round. Do-do-do. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, I'm ready. <laughs> there are a couple of I have long ones. Mark's will pepper you with a whole bunch yeah. of Here's some short questions. I mean, your answers don't have to be short. No, but, uh, but short questions. Um, getting into your your own previous acting experience, current acting experience, um, what was your favorite character you ever played? Uh, favorite character I ever played was was Matt Friedman in the play Tally's Folly by Lanford Wilson. Oh, good. Do you want me to explain the role? Yeah, sure. Well, why, why was it your favorite? Um, it was a huge challenge. It's a, it's a two-person play. It's a big challenge. Uh, just it's as an actor, you want to, you want to be able to drive the boat, drive the the car. You don't want to be a passenger. You want to be the driver. Mm -hmm. You don't always get that opportunity in that play. He's the driver of the play and it's emotionally a big roller coaster. And it's just one of those things. Every once in a while you get a role that fits you like a suit. Mm -hmm. It's just like, Oh, you try on a suit jacket, you go, this fits perfectly. And there was that kind of role for me. I ended up doing it three times and three, and I turned down three other productions of it because I finally got tired of doing it. But it was just one of those roles that fit me that I had a lot of success with and that allowed me, you know, again, I talk about crucible experiences. That was a crucible experience, being able to say, yes, I can carry this play on my back eight times a week and be freaking brilliant. And, and, and I was in that role. So I really like this crucible experience thing because – uh, if I'm ever directing something and it's really, really like hard, like it's hot or cold or whatever, or really long, mm-hmm. I'm just going to tell the actors it's a crucible experience. You're growing. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. What was your least favorite acting gig and why? I'm going to go with uh, the Christmas Carol at the Guthrie Theater in, uh, when I was in the company there. Mm-hmm. I There have been a lot of gigs I've done on camera that I wasn't crazy about, but you know, you're done in a in a week or a couple of days, and you forget about it. And sometimes you don't even see it. You know, I, I, I believe me, I've I've shot things. I said, I don't think I want to see that. It's not very good. Uh, I mean, the project isn't very good. Uh, when I did the Christmas Carol, they used to do the Christmas Carol there every year. It was a big money maker. And the Guthrie, when I was there, was a phenomenal theater company. I mean, one of the one of the really top theater companies maybe in the world. Uh, I don't think it is that way 
at this time, but it's it's still significant. But they would do the Christmas Carol every year, and there was a I played the nephew of Fred. I was a young young man, and the guys who all play Fred were all like blonde. So Fred had like a blonde wig, and I'm dark. I'm Jewish. I'm dark. I looked so ridiculous in this wig, and I said, "Can I just do it without the wig?" And no, you have to. They basically had this little franchise that they had created that you had to fit into, and I just and they worked us to death. I mean, we would do extra shows, and it was it felt like the opposite of Christmas, so it was, it was not fun. <laughs> and and the guy who played Scrooge, who was a good friend of mine and a wonderful actor, who's sadly no longer with us at that time, was was a drunk. He became sober later, but he was so. I'm on stage with a drunk Scrooge, by the way. <laughs> that could work for the character. Right? That, yeah. was, that was fun. That was fun. Yeah. <laughs> now, what was the most challenging role you ever had to do? From an acting standpoint? Uh, from an acting standpoint, to transform yourself, yeah. The most challenging role that I have to do is something I hope to do later this year. Frankly, it is the most challenging. It is My White Whale. Um, it's a play, it's a one person play that a friend of mine wrote that has been done previously in Canada. Uh, and the gentleman in the play is a 90-year-old Holocaust survivor, mm-hmm. and uh, but he's a fully functioning, very funny, very witty 90-year-old man who has a who has a shop in Manhattan, and they're trying to shove him out because they want to redevelop the block, and he's not going to go. And so it's a one it's 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 an hour and 20 minutes of one person talking and that alone at, at my age I don't know if I can retain those lines anymore it's terrifying but that will if I can if I can climb that mountain it definitely will be without question the most challenging thing I've ever done. Oh that sounds like it's going to be a very powerful and moving mm-hmm. play. Sure. I, I want to so. see it. I hope so. <laughs> Good. One thing I, I should mention, if people don't know, you, you did act on 21 Jump Street. Yes, the, I yeah. loved watching that when I was growing up. That was, oh, that was such a good show. And now, what was the experience like? And then also, um, the next question connected to that, which most people would probably think of, is, you know, Johnny Depp was in that, uh, you know. Right. Yeah. What was it like working with him? Well, did, you, did you know that, did you have an inkling that he would grow to be the, the, the icon that he is? Okay, I got well, a little thing Johnny, for Johnny Depp. Don't look at me like that. It's all right. <laughs> I I got this I got this job and I was in about I don't know four or five episodes of that show in one particular season. And John, I had heard about Johnny, mm-hmm. and everyone was talking about this kid is going to be a big star and everything. And I went up and shot the first episode in Vancouver, and a lot of my stuff was with him in that in that first episode. A lot of scenes with him couple of scenes, two or three at least. And I came back to LA and my wife said, what was it like? I said, well, you know, there's this kid. Everyone's talking about this kid, Johnny Depp. And I, I mean, nice kid. I, I don't really get it. I don't get what the big deal is. <laughs> and, and he was very nice, very, very shy at that point and very kind of deferential and very curious. I was looking to see how things were shot and all that, but quiet, like really quiet. And I didn't get much from him in the scenes. And then I saw it. Then I saw what we shot. I went, okay. Oh my goodness. I'm seeing things on screen that I did not see in person. I'm seeing things from him. He had at that time, I would call a metaphysical relationship with the camera because there are, there are people like that. There are people who the camera 
loves. And the camera reveals things about that they're not even aware of. Mm -hmm. Our actors have a special relationship with the camera, and that's kind of, that's just a gift. Johnny had that. He, I saw stuff in his performance that I did not see when we were doing the scenes, and I think I'm pretty good about seeing, knowing what scene I'm in. And so it was cool. I mean, I and then I went, oh, this kid is amazing. <laughs> and then I, I I went back and did a few more episodes. And the the great sort of little coda to the story is that oh, it had to be seven or eight years after that. Um, and he was a star at this point, movie star. Mm-hmm. I was in a parking lot somewhere in L.A. Uh, I don't know where. I don't remember exactly where. I see this guy coming toward me like he wants to talk to me. And it's, he's coming from pretty far away. And it was Johnny Depp. <laughs> and he said, he said, hey, how are you, man? What's going on? And I was like, you didn't have to do that. I mean, he came up to me, wanted to know how I was. Great to see you. I thought, isn't that interesting? Isn't that remarkable? That's why he's a star, probably. He's a good old Kentucky uh, gentleman. <laughs> yeah, he, he was very cool. I don't I haven't seen him for a million years, but I mean, he couldn't have been nicer, and and I had no idea how talented he was, frankly, until I saw him on the screen, and he wiped me off the screen. <laughs> he, wiped, he, he totally wiped me off the screen. I went, okay, all right, I just got punked by this guy. You know, he yeah. is very, very good. Yeah, I think there yeah. are some people that they definitely the camera loves them um, more so than you know the naked eye, and then I think there are some people that can be fantastic actors or performers in person and on stage that the camera just doesn't seem to, to love them and true. capture it, you know? And yeah, no, it's absolutely true. The, the and I, I can't is, understand how that works. But it seems I don't to. think, I don't think anyone understands how it works. It just is a fact of life. Mm-hmm. I had a, a couple of years ago, I had Haskell Wexler come to my class. I don't know if you know who Haskell Wexler is. I know the Haskell's name. 90, okay, he's 93. Haskell's probably, so he was probably 90 when he did this. Mm-hmm. He's one of the great cinematographers in the history of cinema. He shot Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest in the Heat of the Night. Oh, no wonder that's familiar. You see it on the screen. when. <laughs> yeah, he's, you know, he's won a bunch of Academy Awards, and he's a legendary guy. I happen to know him socially through some friends, and he's totally with it still. And... He said, I want to come to your class. I said, great. He said, I said, what do you want to do? He said, I want to talk about the camera. I said, great. So we did an evening called, I was called like the camera and you or something like that. I can't remember some, you know, not very inspired uh, title. <laughs> but he, he talked about that. He talked about, you know, and he actually shot, he brought his camera and shot some stuff in class. And it is there is something that happens and it's kind of a metaphysical thing. Certain people have it. Certain people don't have it at all. And it's not something you can control, but I mean, Johnny really had it to a high degree. And there are people where, you know, they, you see them in person and you don't get it and you see them on camera and there's, you see them in person, there's much less to them than meets the eye. You see them on camera and it seems like there's much more to them than meets the eye. And I think it's just, I don't think it's anything we can train ourselves for or become better at. I just think that's something that you either have or you don't. Hmm. Most average people just are, you know, most average actors don't have that. <laughs> it's a little bit, of, little bit of magic. Magic. Yes. yes. You've acted in every kind of medium just about, you know, uh, film, TV, theater. Voice uh, voice. Yeah. yeah. Is there one in particular that you really like the most or you gravitate towards the most? Well, 
honestly, theater's the most fun. Yeah. You know, theater's a lot of fun because theater is kind of like, it's more closely related to how you impulsively and instinctively want to act. Uh-huh. Theater is a lot like what what childlike play is. It just happens to have a certain dogma about it and how it's done, but the live experience is really hard to replicate. On the other hand, if you're if you're lucky enough to be in a film that where you have um, six, seven weeks on a film, you are able to replicate that a little bit. It becomes kind of like a family experience, and it becomes you become an ensemble in a way that is almost unique to anything. But you know, theater is the most. You get the immediate response. You get you get to play the story from beginning to middle to end. You get to, and I like the craft of the theater. I like figuring out, oh, well, you know, if I do it this way, there's two laughs here instead of one. Mm. If I I take the pause there, I like figuring that out. It's a little puzzle that helps you, um, you know, just allows you to, to, it's, it's very satisfying to, you know, if you do a long run in a play, you're doing three, four, five, six months or whatever, you get bored. But then eventually you figure out a way to to reimagine it, reinvent it, and keep it fresh. And it's the last of kind of the handmade art forms. Mm. You know, theater is a handmade art form. There are little different variations from night to night, from performance to performance. And once you do a movie, it's locked, and and you know that's it. You're done. Mm. Yeah. But the other, I mean, but the movie lives on forever, and the residuals live on forever, which is also nice. <laughs> that's true. true. Well, and it's also. Um, you just can't beat that in immediate response from the audience. And there's a certain no, it's like, gratification. It's so there was a kid in my, a very good young actor in my class doing a scene about a month ago. And it was so funny because I wasn't aware that, the, I thought the scene he was doing, I forget what it was from, but it was quite funny. And I think he thought it was very serious. Oh. And when he started doing it, and people, and he's an extremely talented and very funny actor, but he was playing it very seriously. And of course, people laughed because because he was playing it so seriously. Oh. And and I watched him, and it was like it was like crack. I mean, he just and it's it's the live. He just caught onto the energy, and he, you know, that it was strictly a live performance thing. He he totally got, a, you know, read a different kind of energy in the moment, recalibrated his performance, thinking. Oh, actually, this is this is funny. I didn't realize this was funny. <laughs> and a, and a smart actor, in, you know, in real time can sort of recalibrate and uh, still make it truthful, still make you know not not be silly or play it for laughs. Mm-hmm. But that that live performance is very hard to. You don't get that in in film. You just don't. It's you get you get other things, but you don't get that. Right. Yeah, I know. Actors are always wondering if they're if what they just did was good or not, if the director's fibbing or not. Yeah. Because the crew doesn't exactly clap or laugh. Yeah. Well, and it's funny. I mean, I've just dabbled in acting, and then I've acted in some things that Mark's actually directed. And, you know, I and I also obviously know him very well, um, but I wasn't looking. Or so you think. <laughs> I wasn't looking from any of the directors that I've ever dealt with, any kind of compliments or this and that is it okay because i'm i i'm used i guess to marks and someone said something and i go you know what if he didn't say anything 
you're doing fine. If he wants you to change something, he'll tell you. If he doesn't tell you, you're doing all right. You know, <laughs> there's just like no that immediate feedback isn't or if always they, there. If they want, if they want to, uh, and if they don't tell you anything, they're also trying to get their their pages done that day. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I actually don't like if someone's like, oh, oh, that was, and they give you like false, like they're just blowing sunshine up here, you know? They, they're like. Beautiful, darling. Oh, that was that was fantastic. That was the best one yet. Oh, that was fantastic. No, you know what? If you don't have anything sincere to say, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> what I do, what I do like about film that that is unique to film is that you can think on film, and it registers. Yes. You can. I I do an exercise in my class. Uh, we do, we work with the camera about every five six weeks. And um, one week I said, I want you to bring in a 30-second narrative story in your head only, no words. We're going to film you thinking about something. It can be you just got a call and your father went into rehab again or, or somebody broke up with you or, or you got the job or whatever. Make up a story, no words, 30 seconds minimum, and you're allowed one physical gesture tell the story and you'd be surprised how people can tell the story just were, by thinking. Were they just thinking about the gist of it or were, did they have a script that they were reading? No, they would just, I don't really know. I mean, I just said, you create a narrative and you, I want you to communicate whatever it is you're thinking of wordlessly. Mm. And then we would watch it and say, okay, what do you think that is? What do you, everyone would chime in, what do you think? And it was amazing how close people were to what the real story was. So you, 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 that's huh. something you really can't, you can't do in the theater. You, you, can't, you can think on film and it registers. You can't right. in the theater. You have to you play to the back of the room, yeah. Unless it's a really small, intimate theater, which I like. It's fun to work in a small, intimate theater because you can be more subtle. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's one of the great joys of, of film is to be able to be subtle and to not feel like you have to be pushing outwardly all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sometimes if you tell people who only have theater experience, if if you try to give them an adjustment of like, you're wanting more from them, more emotion, and this is a more emotional thing. Sometimes the only adjustment they'll instinctively do is they get louder. <laughs> Yeah, or or you know the I'm I'm going to start next week at UCLA. I'm teaching with MFA, okay. first year MFA students um, on camera acting, which I've I've never really done before. But I mean I I know enough to teach it, obviously. But you know my point to them was it isn't just smaller. Mm-hmm. The initial technical adjustment is to make it smaller, and there's nothing. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not incorrect. But you need the intensity. Well, that's just the beginning of a whole shift. So smaller is fine, but smaller is just a a tiny part of what the adjustment is. And it's kind of hard to even articulate it um, because it's, it's helpful when they see it. It's really helpful when you see yourself on screen. I hate watching myself on screen. I've always hated it. And so, because I never feel like I look the way I think inside. I go, oh, who's, this? who's that old guy? Oh, that's me. <laughs> but the theater is, I think, the most fun, certainly. Uh-huh. All right. Well, uh, before we wrap things up, besides spreading the word about your book and your weekly acting classes. Yes. And now I guess you're soon to be professor. 
are there any other projects coming up that you'd like to mention? Well, this play called that I mentioned a little while back called Altman's Last Stand. I hope we can, you know, we don't have a, we're not part of any theater season, so it's going to be an independent production. I'm very excited about trying to do that. Kind of a gargantuan task. And, uh, you know, that's it. I've got, I've got my plate full in a way. I don't, in a way, I don't, I was saying to, I just had lunch today with a friend of mine who teaches acting in New York, who was out here in LA for a week or two. And I said, you know, I'm not, I'm no longer excited about when they, if they call you and say, yeah, it's a part and it's, you'll have two days on NCIS. And that just, at, at my point in my life, I don't look down my nose at it in the least, but it doesn't interest me because I've done all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. And, and, you know, if I get it, that's great. But my focus is on my book, my teaching, and, you know, maybe returning to the theater and, and returning to my roots. And that's kind of something I feel strongly about. It scares me, frankly. It's it's a little, it's, and maybe that, and everyone says, well, that's good if it scares you. And I go, geez, I, I'm tired of being scared. At some point you want to Everyone says it's yeah, everyone says it's good if it scares you. Really? Okay. <laughs> okay, I guess it is. You know, and the funny thing is, like, for instance, this this play I'm, I've mentioned a couple of times, it's a monster. It's a lot of a lot of work. And I've been working on it quietly for about six, seven months. So I'll pick it up and I'll work on it and I'll memorize certain sections of it. And I picked it up last week and I hadn't looked at it for a while, maybe at least a month. And it was so good when I looked at it again, I realized I have been working on it even when I wasn't working on it. Somehow it was seeping like tea, you know, like tea brews. Mm-hmm. It was somehow, it's it's become part of my thinking now. And it, it, even when I wasn't actually actively reading it, it was somehow working inside me. So that, that, that excited me. I thought that was really fun and really cool. Mm-hmm. And where can our audience find you and your book? My book is available uh, on, uh, as far as I know, on three sites. Amazon.com, of course. They'll deliver it by drone to your house, I think. (laughs) And uh, BarnesandNoble.com and MWP.com, the publisher, Michael Weesey Productions. You can get it from all three of those places. And I encourage people, because of Michael Weesey Productions, to post a review of my book. So if you like it, you know, I would love it if you post a review. You can find me teaching Wednesday nights at the Pico Playhouse in Los Angeles, coaching privately at my home, and uh, teaching Monday and Wednesday mornings now, starting next week at UCLA, which is, I have a good, healthy dose of fear about that, but that should be okay. <laughs> and, uh, I, and I think that's enough, isn't it? I, I think so. Uh, but I think you have a website. Too, yeah. Oh, you oh, have your website, own website? Yes, com, And my website is being updated. I don't have, I really at this point don't have stuff about the book on there, which is foolish of me, but I'm in the middle of an update and uh, a little bit behind my schedule. But you can find anything about me and my classes and my coaching uh, on that website. I also have a TED Talk, TEDx Talk that I did at Chapman University last year, which you can find on YouTube. If you put my name into YouTube, it will come up and uh, uh, hopefully educate you. That's, we love those TED Talks, so we're going to have to look Yeah, they're, they're great. That was, a scary, that was a scary experience, I will tell yeah, you. Yeah, I was going to say, what are you worried about this other stuff for, man? You successfully did a TED Talk. You're good. Well, that was that was a crucible experience because <laughs> I think I was, I, I'm sure, I was a last-minute substitution. Somebody dropped out. 
I don't even know how they found me, but they did. <laughs> and I literally had 10 days to do a 14-minute talk with no notes and slides that hadn't yet been created. Oh, my goodness. So it was, yeah, in front of 900 people. <laughs> of your new closest friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it was uh, it was an amazing experience. They're great people. And you're right, all, all those, the TED and the TEDx talks, there's so much incredible content on there on all subjects. It's just, it's great. So, so you can find me there as well. Yeah, well, thanks so much for chatting with us. And you have a really okay, good evening. Care. All right, thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Hi, this is John Batum from Saturday Night Fever and War Games, and you're listening to Genre Attainment. Well, big thanks to Michael for the fun and informative interview. If you're wanting to be an actor, we would suggest you check out his book, The Authentic Actor, The Art and Business of Being Yourself. Coming up on our next episodes as we head towards episode 100. 100! (laughs) We will be speaking to Christopher Leone, the writer and director of the science fiction film Parallels. Yes, and we will have some web series fun coming up with our interview with Britton Valenti, the creator of the sci-fi web series Interrogation. Now, before we go, we do want to remind you that you can keep track of us on our Genretainment Facebook page, Marx's Twitter account, which is at Mr. Marks, our website at genretainment.com, or all of the shows at scifipulseradio.com. So that's it for today's Genretainment. We'll be back soon with all new guests from our favorite films, TV shows, novels, and web series. Genretainment is a production of Alien Jungle Bug Productions. Until, Until next, next time. time. Ben Monkey.